I am putting off a dreaded task. What's that? My Lightroom is a mess. Oh. Would you like to know what version my Lightroom is? It is Adobe Lightroom Catalog 3-12 ASDJKL. <laughs> Just That is, I hate when they occasionally hit version upgrades that they have to rebuild catalogs, I guess. So you get the, like, whatever your name is, dash two, and nobody's in the habit or gets a lot of joy out of the idea of deleting a Lightroom catalog. So most people just let it sit there and you, you end up with all these like duplicate things and it's just a mess. I'm really sorry. That's really s- stressful work. And, you know, it took me longer than I care to admit before I, I had a really nicely organized, logical Lightroom system. And everything orbits around dated folders and then file names that are essentially just the timestamp of when the photo was taken, year, month, date, hour, minute, second. I'm grateful I committed to that after about three years. I'm surprised it took me that long. But I used to think, oh, of course, I'm going to import and name the folder that my images are sitting in, like my client's names or the event name or whatever it is. It's like actually put all of that stuff in the keyword metadata because that's very searchable, keeps your the organization of your catalog very tidy and consistent. I am putting off a second pressing task. You like my mug? Adding What's... keywords to <laughs> any of my photos. Well, you know, we might come full circle there with all the handy, and I noticed Glass just yesterday being very good at this. The AI searching capabilities might get so good that people that never you know, had discipline behind keywording things it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if at some point the AI search feature, if the Adobe desperately needs to implement into Lightroom Classic, it's there in uh, Lightroom, Lightroom, <laughs> wait, like Lightroom Mobile. But the AI search, what? Why is it only in the the one that no one uses? Is there if you use the new Lightroom that syncs across your phone and mm-hmm. your desktop, please send me a message. I would love to meet as your you. Main, yeah, as your main editing. Because platform. I have never met anyone that does it. Yeah. I don't know all, what we're doing for. It's the interface, you know, functionality-wise, functionally, it's the exact same thing. But yeah, the interface is clearly a huge step backward. I will say it's a good iPhone app. Like, Well, to, you know to what they say. There is I would love to have my iPhone be able to be my main photo editing tool. You know, it's yeah. funny. A lot of people, of course, nobody says that about their phone, but a lot of people, myself included, really wanted the iPad to be able to do Lightroom editing. And and I, over the years, kind of realized that why am I desperate to be able to edit my photos on an iPad? It's an awful, slow experience. I know a lot of photographers that do it, but if you're doing high volume stuff, you need a keyboard. And if you're just going to sit there with your iPad and a keyboard anyway, it should be on a Mac because it's so much better, which segues nicely into what I was going to start this discussion about because I just printed a bunch of stuff. One of the very first realizations I had about why I love Mac so much was the Apple P command to print. That didn't exist on Windows, at least not at the time. I'm not sure what the shortcut is, but I remember as like an eight-year-old in computer class, we had our little Mac LE2s or whatever. And that realization of like, of course, it should be a shortcut that's super intuitive. Apple P, it prints, was something that always stuck with me as a differentiator early on as to like how Apple thought about things compared to everyone else, apparently. Yeah, take that, Microsoft. (laughs) You didn't implement something back in 1995, and now we're never touching you. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, I never used any of the like 80s Apple computers, but it wouldn't shock me at all if that was the very first shortcut that they created for printing that apple key was pretty pretty useful not gonna lie kind of sad actually that they got rid of it now it's just when did they do that now it's just command uh yeah and why is the option key that weird like hieroglyphic i don't even know what that is don't worry about it okay just don't be free of concerns (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't overthink never just like like with the touch bar yeah never think uh don't bring up the touch bar we we've moved on we've or passed it okay (sighs) wait what were you printing were you printing photos or just like tax stuff taxes yeah that's way less fun 
Yeah, it was just regular laser printer. So that was Ugh. my morning. Not too exciting. Sorry, what was your second thing? Did I interrupt you or did you tell oh, me? Oh, no, keywords, man. I haven't keyworded mm. anything. But now that I'm like embracing time as a part of my photography, mm-hmm. as, a, as a creative tool, which is, you know taken a minute to get there i had this i had this moment when i was at a a photo book store in seattle uh, a couple weeks ago and uh my my favorite photo book in the world is stephen shore's common places common something that guy what are you you have his book in the background uncommon places yeah it's a it's just a really exceptional uh americana photo book of you know road trips back and forth across america in the early to mid 70s and then it culminates uh sometime in the early 80s but um so it's like it i think it's one of the best american photo books ever made it's really gorgeous uh it's currently on sale at aperture.org uh in part of their summer sale where you can get a hundred dollars okay. with two other books. How do Enough I know that? Because I almost bought it. Aperture.org. Is it a, it's a, uh, wonderful photography magazine and, uh, photo book store and print store for photographers. Awesome. They have, uh, a really exceptional selection of photo books. So I was in, uh, you know, like this has been one of my favorite, photo books for years i saw it the first time when i was like 20 21 when i was like looking through photo books in portland uh at mm. powell's way back in the days a little youth as a little baby youth i remember that bookstore yeah yeah uh and this it, it's always stuck with me and then i could finally you know just afford to spend 80 dollars or whatever it was on a photo book and hooray now i've owned it for years i love it i look at it all the time it is a large influence in my work i had literally no idea that this man had a a a different style of work he has a he has like an entire photo book that i found at this bookstore in seattle a couple weeks ago that really wrecked my brain of aerial photos where he's just like taken photos either from high up in a building of like, you know, streets looking interesting or from actual planes or helicopters. Uh, and I had no idea because that is not in the style of his other work, right? His his uh, work in Uncommon Places is very street specific and gorgeous. And the fact that he had a whole other compilation of an entirely different style of photography that was still large enough and good enough to make a book out of kind of, uh, I don't know, like kind of, kind of like broke my brain a little because it feels so un, not un, unnatural, uh, but Hmm. kind of unnatural, right? Like right now, if you take photos on the internet and you're posting photos on the internet, you're only doing the one type of photos traditionally, right? Like you're, here are my, street photography not it's frustrating i'm not gonna lie the the pivot of posting something on the internet to and and suddenly it be something say build an audience like i have or whatever with the wedding focus or couples focus every time i post virtually every time i post anything else even if it's i think pretty good or something i'm excited about it's like half or less than my normal engagement rate it's like what's going on there that's so annoying you just yeah like your like your weird um ephemeral portraits of trees that you take mm. with like the rolling shutters and I don't I don't know what you're doing with those. It's, it's a rolling shutter and a tilt shift and an N D filter combined uh with the um the Hasselblad nine oh seven X fifty C. Yeah. It's a it's quite the rig and it takes a lot of work. I can't wait to get back into it this fall after this next wave of weddings, but and hopefully insight will be mostly built out by then. Okay. I am and my new website. For, let's uh, let's take a let's take a road trip to a tree. I don't know. <laughs> I drove to Pittsburgh yesterday in embrace of time as a photography constraint uh, or or a photography tool because you know. So this guy has like aerial photos from you know across years to build a portfolio and a collection large enough that it can then be published as a book and you know refine the skill. And so I have finally over you know our last couple of conversations and uh the last few times i've gone out to take photos i have accepted 
right now. I don't know how long this acceptance is going to last, <laughs> okay. but Can I have accepted okay. that making good photography projects takes time. Yeah. Like that a lot of time, like, like, like uh, years. It and wouldn't I, surprise me that most artistic endeavors in general can take so much time because uh, like the, I, I would imagine rarely, at least for me, rarely uh, do you have the full sense of what the, you might have like a nugget of an idea of what you think it's going to be and how the project is, but it can take years for it to start to crystallize in your mind and realize like, Oh, th this is what this project's about, or this is the theme or this is, you know, whatever that ties it all together. Uh, which is, frustrating because when you i think a lot of artists when they when they present the work whatever it is it seems like that it was a fully formed thing from the beginning like they could write it down in detail on paper and then they just went out and shot it i i, I wouldn't be shocked if that's almost never the case I'm not saying it's impossible that people don't do it but i i bet you most of the time it's an evolution like that <clears throat> and it takes a long time of just evolving your your work in whatever way it is needed to, to achieve that sort of realization i think so I'm embracing it. I'm trying Good. to anyway, Good. slow and steady, which is why I've felt the urge to, okay, now is the time to bite the bullet and to create the a phrase Lightroom bite organization. The bullet came from? I'm wondering now. We're not Who a, says we're, that we're, anymore? we're a photography, <laughs> we're a photography podcast, not an etymology of okay. words podcast. Organize your Lightroom catalog. Yes. Organize keywords. Yeah projects it, it's in case people don't know and in fact I, I know many don't because i get this question a lot at my workshops and through patreon you can depending on how disorganized you are and for whatever reason there's been an overall consensus that a lot of people seem to agree on which i don't know when and how this happened maybe just a lot of educators thought it was the way to do it and so it's just kind of stuck a lot of people create a new lightroom project with every single session or shoot or like, you know, different thing they do. Um, don't do that. That's silly. It's really hasn't been necessary for performance or anything like that in a long, long time. And you are up against a mountain of hurt. If you ever want to take a dive into your archives and, and tease out things, uh, and, and you don't even know ahead of time when and why that might be the case. So a great example of this is, um, uh, two examples. One is, Using um, Imagine for the AI editing, where you kind of build a profile where it's learned your style, you need to send it thousands of pictures to, to do that, about 3,000 now. Uh, but the more you have, the better. And for me, all I had to do was open up my master catalog and select from the past six years of work all in one place, all of my favorite raw files from a variety of, uh, you know, whatever it was, shooting locations and styles and everything else, um, like silhouettes and, and everything. And export them in one go uh, to send up to Imagine. So it was a really pretty trivial, easy task for me to do. To, to have to go through like six, five, whatever, how many plus years of work and do that to individual catalogs all over the place would take forever. But it's not like I knew Imagine was going to exist and have this feature ahead of time. It's just you want to trend toward a singular source of everything, in my opinion. Uh, that is a recipe for disaster if you don't also have a good backup plan because you get one catalog accidentally deleted and you're screwed <laughs> you get one catalog accidentally corrupted you're screwed so you got to really make sure that you're confident and, and knowledgeable of that the second one is just a simple end of year review right uh, that's one of my major marketing tools is having my 150 favorite photos from pretty much every wedding and every session that i shot that year that's a wonderful way to market and it takes me maybe 20 minutes to put that together because i can look at my entire catalog so that's like two major reasons. There's probably many more that I, I can't even think of off the top of my head, but here's the feature that a lot of people don't realize. If you have already scattered a bunch of different catalogs all over the place from whatever, if it's years of shooting or you created a new one every single event, you can import and export catalogs from one another. So what I would do is start over by making one master catalog and then go to file import from another catalog and start working your way through all your, you know, disconnected catalogs, wherever they're saved and get them all in one master catalog that you can then organize with some consistency. But a lot of people don't realize you can import and export your actual catalogs from one another, not just the, the image files. I had like really fun little, uh, 
you know, little jokes to make through that. And then by the end of it, you were like talking about the specifics of how to do the thing that I'm dreading and putting off. And then I just like slipped into existential dread of organizing, you know, 50, yeah, somebody photos. should offer that as a service. Uh, I'll organize your Lightroom catalog for, I will bucks. trade you an <laughs> organized Lightroom catalog and a camera for insight copy. <laughs> okay, we'll talk. That's pretty we'll good. See. That's pretty good. We'll see. <sighs> you can uh, be... <laughs> it's like it's like how uh, a few a few weeks ago I was hanging out with uh, you and our our dear friend Ryan Meerhead FaceTimed because you needed to take control of his computer to fix it. Mm-hmm. You could be the Geek Squad for photographers, Sam. <laughs> and I have been. This is not an uncommon uh, situation when I've done mentoring. People are just like, help, help me with the performance. A lot of times it's more performance related. And it is frustrating that out of the box, Lightroom is not set up to to perform like super optimally. At least I don't think. I guess I have always kind of carried my settings over year over year. So I'm not exactly sure how it comes out of the box, but I'm pretty sure it's not ideal. Well, we can find out silly. when you are organizing. <laughs> yeah. Be like, yes. whoa, this is a terrible setting. Speaking of organizing, I pulled the trigger about 30 minutes ago on one of my favorite tasks, and that is hiring a a local junk person to come. Yeah, I know. Pull the trigger. Uh, Hiring a local junk company to come take a ton of my junk and donate it slash recycle it slash trash it. I have boxes on boxes on boxes that because I'm always randomly out of town or forget to put the recycling out. I just have so many boxes. It is so, a literal mountain. You yeah, walk in, you walk into Sam's house and to the left is a beautiful <laughs> little entryway into the kitchen and living room. And to the right is cardboard mountain, mountain that you must <laughs> scale to reach an office room. Yes. I'm yes. very excited. It's, it's like a nice, and I've got a bunch of other things that I can't throw away that I need to be taken out by a junk company. Uh, I'm excited to do that. A lot of batteries. You're getting rid of a lot of batteries. Some, some batteries. Yeah. And that's in there. A lot of pool floats and things that are like broken and deflated and just random stuff. Nothing of great value. It's just been sitting around and overdue. I like to do like two junk purges a year like that. Yeah. Once I get my cyber truck, I can just go to the junk place myself. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I don't know if this has come out on the podcast or if this has just been my private hazing, but Sam pre-ordered <laughs> a cyber truck nine years ago and in <laughs> 12 years will one day eventually yeah. get the boxy falling apart. We'll truck. see. I think it'll be here sooner than people think at this point. But. I'm trying. I I am uh, just so we're clear on where I stand. Trying to get Sam to order literally any other electric vehicle at any other time. And yeah, you know the failing. Rivian looks compelling. I I went into the showroom in New York and they're, they're cool trucks, but they're a little too trucky. You know what I mean? It's like too much like a truck. Okay, but it's, one it's is like, a, a literal <laughs> tank that you won't be able to park anywhere in the city true. that you live, and one <laughs> is a truck. Point yeah that's a really good point i have looked at the hybrid jeeps those are cool i used to have an old jeep wrangler two different ones i love them so much if they made a fully electric jeep i'd be on board do they, they not? Have hybrid they have this ev jeep but it's a it's a hybrid oh. essentially it, it i think it gets 80 miles of range so it's not yeah you not can drive to my awful. house and back yeah, 80 miles. That's like my mom also has, I love this car. It's awesome. A Mini Cooper that's 100% EV, but it only gets about 100 miles of range, I think. Uh, so yeah, that's just two. If anybody out there is considering EVs, get something that has at least 220 miles of range. That was my very first, and that was right over the uh, the hump of like the average driving distance of where I would go and when I would need, even on a road trip, access to charging in a reasonable distance uh, where it wasn't too often 220 miles was the sweet spot and anything above that obviously is just wonderful and convenient but yeah a lot of people speaking of road tripping i drove to pittsburgh yesterday you mentioned just yesterday just yesterday and then back to pittsburgh and back for anyone who is not familiar with uh, the east coast uh pennsylvania it's long <laughs> so I drove I drove from yes. one end, which is where Maryland is, because we're right under Pennsylvania, all the way across to the other end. It's like 200 miles uh, in kilometers. That's 350, give or take 360. 
I don't, I, I don't actually know if my brain did that right. That's just what was immediately it there. Sounds impressive that yeah, that you could do that off the top. I guess you lived in Amsterdam for. A I bit, did. But, there was yeah. that time I lived in Europe and had to use the kilometers, but I prefer kilometers, so I just like stuck with it mm-hmm. and then forgot the translation back. Anyway, it's 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 far, so I drove there and back. It was like uh, ten hours in the car yesterday to Oof. then sit and uh, to, to just basically do a lot of sitting at a baseball game because I was like, oh, I like there. I, I've been trying to figure out some version of a photo project that I can. I've been searching for this uh, photo project idea that like kind of connects with my family past and history and like, you know, just family stuff without it being about family. And uh, the only thing that I cared about when I visited my grandparents as a child growing up was listening to the Cubs on WGN uh, or on, you know, whatever it is, 680 The Score uh, AM with Pat Hughes and Ron, originally Ron Santos, now Ron Coomer, kept uh, kept the, the Rons. Uh, it's just like huh. a wonderful, it was a wonderful family thing. And it was like the only thing I had in common with my grandparents was we both liked baseball. And that has passed on to my parents. My parents love baseball. Now I love baseball. It was like a conscious decision to love baseball. Uh, the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And I started caring about the Cubs again in 2015. I was just like, they're getting good again. I'm going to care. My friend, at, my best friend at the time mm-hmm. uh, was a baseball fan. So I just like made a conscious decision. Like, I'm going to care about baseball now. And then I did. It's been wonderful. Uh, and so I'm like doing a every stadium there are 30 stadiums uh by the time this project is done there might be 32 because they might add two new teams to baseball that's exciting Uh, did they almost uh, sell off the orioles by the way i can't quite recall oh my god john angelos we're gonna get hyper specific baltimore sports podcast now john (laughs) angelos son of the you know multi-millionaire billionaire family that originally purchased the orioles who was a wonderful man his son took over and is just the worst Oh my god, he's the worst. He's currently trying to hold the city hostage for an extra 200 to 400 million dollars in development Jeez. funds. He's already got 600 million and he's threatening to uh leave the city. Okay. Uh he's just the worst. I can I can get like deep into it. He's yeah. he's bad. But the last few uh earlier this year, I you know, I've gone to a couple of Orioles games. I uh visited Philadelphia with my parents on a nice little trip to yes. go to a Cubs game in Philadelphia. Uh and both times I took my camera and had a really nice time taking like photos of baseball. And so then I was like, mm, I'm gonna go I'm I'm a Ooh, now when I was like thinking of like, okay, what's a project I know will take me many years to finish? Uh, So I like don't get overexcited, don't try and get burnout on it. Just like slowly but surely, methodically work through a project just to see what happens. And the idea I came up with was uh, photographing every uh, baseball stadium. So I started the furthest away stadium you're going to have to deal with. For me, right now, um, it would have been Seattle. Uh, but I did that when I was visiting my brother oh, nice. a couple weeks ago to, for the glass meetups. So the next one, the next furthest away would be San Francisco and um, there are two in LA and one in San Diego. So all the California ones. Yeah. I've been to the Angels Stadium. It's really nice. It's cool. Yeah. And like Dodger Stadium ago. is a beautiful, wonderful, magical place. Petco is bananas. That's a stadium in San Diego. Uh, and then the Giants stadium is exceptional, uh, depending on where, uh, they are. The Oakland A's may be the Las Vegas A's. So I might have to go to Las Vegas instead of Oakland cause they're moving, oh. uh, okay. cause their owner is also bad. This is, I, I'm not, oh, I, I'm pro, times. I'm pro sports. Do you think negative sports owners? The, the owners of, yeah. I don't think that's an uncommon thing. Uh, do you think that people as, as they get older become more and more interested in sports? I don't know. Huh. I, We're less and less. So this actually reminds me of, um, I was reading, uh, I don't know, some discussion about music the other day. And there was a lot of people that like, yeah, I used to listen to, you know, punk bands 
back when I was growing up and then it kind of transitioned to, to more relaxed, like emo. And now it's like, ah, I'm just right in that country jazz phase. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. It makes sense that your styles of music would change over time. Although I think a lot of people kind of stop evolving their musical taste and just listen to the same dozen artists that they listened to up until they were in their twenties yep. for the rest of their lives. But there's, does seem to be a clear trend toward if, if you do evolve in any direction to other newer artists, it tends to be more relaxed as you get older. I think most people, I don't think in their forties and fifties get into metal like at that age, maybe, but I doubt it. So I'm just wonder if that also translates into sports. Obviously it translates into politics and news where people become more interested, the older they get, but it also ties into the question of photography style. Do you think people, obviously everyone's style evolves, but do you think over time and, and age, you tend to become more of a traditional preference type of photographer? Or do you think people kind of stay the same? You know, a lot yeah. of questions in there for you. Sorry, but uh, we one. can start with the sports thing. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, I think I think it's kind of, um, they're all kind of linked, right? The older I get, the more I understand what I like and why I like something, right? So like the, mm. and like I have the agency and the choice to choose to do what I want and watch what I want, right? Like growing mm. up, my dad loves football. So as a football household, I watched so much football. We grew up just outside of Boise, Idaho. Uh, the Boise State Broncos uh, were really popular and well-known um, college football uh, team at the time of my youth. And so like went to a lot of games and then there was also like my dad was a huge Green Bay Packers fan. So I pretended to be a fan of their biggest rivals and like the team my dad hated the most. And it was like a fun family dynamic. LOL. But, man, I don't care about football at all. Like yeah. just. Okay. I, well, you mentioned, so the first thing that popped into my head about why people's taste and styles and trends and things evolve is, is probably the family unit type of thing. When you have uh, kids or you're the kid in a family, your parents, I, I wouldn't shock me at all. If somebody who previously had no interest in sports became interested because their kids started playing, you know, sports of some kind, it's always surprised me that soccer hasn't been more popular because basically every kid in America at some point has to play soccer until they're like 10 years old. And then, uh, it's cause they don't it play just, it like, until stops. they're good. Yeah, I guess. They, they stop playing it once it requires skill. But that <laughs> when it gets skillful is when football <laughs> okay. gets interesting, right? right. Uh, yeah. See, I, I lived in Europe, so I can call it football appropriately. Oh, that's what I'm <laughs> I'm a big... We I'm a big discussion uh, in another episode of the, the original source of that game was called soccer in the UK. And then the UK flipped. To football and we are doing year. a lot of etymology today we are so yeah so like i you know i i like stuff over time i like seeing how stuff changes evolves over time and like little minute details which means baseball is for me man like baseball has stats for everything and like there are little adjustments that you're doing on like where you're holding the ball you know we're talking like millimeter changes on it does where seem you... that baseball is the sport for uh people if there is any overlap in whatever venn diagram you want to draw between tech kind of oriented minded people and any sport it does seem to be baseball Nerds. first it's, it's, yeah. it's the stats part of it it seems yeah. there's stats there's a lot of heart there's a lot of fun i don't know it's a, I, I love baseball i'm gonna get you into baseball i'm gonna take you to an orioles game we're gonna have a great time I, I, i've been to an orioles game i really enjoy the actual games you know what i went to in person i didn't think i would enjoy it all because i just don't i've never enjoyed watching it but cricket in person i went to no a <laughs> soccer game in atlanta and it was so fun i was how i don't even remember i just remember it was so fun and i was very surprised because you know the score was like one to two or something it wasn't a lot of goals but it was just the best time there's a lot of also, there's uh, a lot of sport playing and to get to those one or two goals you know yeah there's yeah a lot of no, there is a lot of setups there's also a wonderful stadium in a great area atlanta's had a insanely uh fast development curve and uh, one area of town that put a bunch of money into is wherever that stadium is. I want to say it's like Northwest, Northeast. I don't know. Somebody knows that's listening right now. But and yeah, gonna, okay, so it's the stats thing. Right, so there's like stats, but it's also just like storylines throughout the year, right? So like it, it allows you to track the things you care about because baseball is such a long season. It's 162 games and then the playoffs. So yeah. There's enough change and room for growth that like someone that was terrible at the beginning of the year 
can finish the year as like the league MVP or can, Mm. you know, like turn it around. And so there's just like, there's a lot of fun stuff in there and there's a lot of, you know, like how, uh, like the weather in April in Chicago is cold and miserable, which means that the baseball is like way harder to hit. So then there's all these like little things that there's just whoo variants. Yeah. It's super fun. And so, you know, like I chose to, I, I just chose to be like, Oh no, I was into this as a child, but even though I didn't like care about football anymore and I chose not to care about football because I was like, Oh, I don't actually like that a team playing a game can like affect my weekend to the point yeah. that my mood is gone for <laughs> sure. like 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember uh, the Boise State Broncos. I was like 19 or some 19 or 20. And the Boise State Broncos lost a single game in like a three year span. But them losing mm-hmm. that single game like ruined my mood for like a week. And then I was like, well, I'm done. That's <laughs> that's a fair. I, that happened I to my college roommate. He was very. And I think most people in Philly or that have a connection to Philadelphia are, are quite passionate about their sports teams. That's just totally fine. He was very superstitious about everything. He always had to have like the right jersey. And if they lost, he was, and it's he would say, yeah. like, don't be around me if, if they lose. And like, why are you letting this thing that you have no control over uh, control so much of your mood and because attitude? It's amazing and when it, works. it is, it is cool. <laughs> I, I can see the appeal when it's, when you're winning and the excitement and all that. The, I think the, the thing that I've never found particularly interesting in, with sports is that my existence in the world has absolutely nothing to do with anything that they do. None. I, I just watch what happens and that can be fun and relaxing but I just, there's nothing that I do in the world that's going to make any difference about the outcome of what this thing is. So it's just not that interesting to me. Okay, but vi- that's the same with any movie or show you're watching, any podcast you're listening, anything yeah. you're consuming for entertainment. Exactly. You cannot it, it, the control. Consumption that I've always tried to have a, a really tight uh, sense of, am I consuming more than I'm putting out in the world? And I've always tried to be more on the output side than the consuming side. And uh, same with like video games, which at least that there's some mental uh, calculus occurring in your head to like problem solve, which could be kind of cool. Maybe even when you're playing sports games, like you, there is like a component of having to think about what you're doing, which is appealing. But even that I'm very resistant to because it just feels like, okay, all of this effort uh, that you're putting into this thing doesn't leave that screen. It doesn't leave that box, you know, unless you build up a community of people that you play with over the internet, which I've never really done beyond doom and one friend of mine. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, you're right. And so there's just not a lot of room in my life for things where it's more the consumption side of, of what's happening. But, uh, well. you know, even with a, a film though, or a TV show, the, the experience of watching it can change your perspective on things in a way that I think can be powerful and meaningful. I don't know that that happens much when your team wins a football game what changes in your life. Like maybe it's more just the community building and all your friends have a wonderful time and you get Yeah. So it's just a nice bonding experience. Yeah. I mean, community slaps, man. It's good. It's it's, I agree. It's good stuff. I'm with you. And there, you know, sports, like conferences and workshops. It's that community thing. Yeah. And glass. Can I, we've already talked about that at length, the community building aspect of glass and how special it is because there is no algorithm. Man, it's so hard. It's like so much work. To do the thing, uh, to build, to build, to, oh, it's nice. It takes, takes time. But have you ever felt in yourself or seen maybe somebody that's older than you, or maybe a photographer whose work you're so obsessed with, you've been able to track their evolution over many years. Do you think a lot of photographers tend to evolve in a stylistic way? And if so, is there a, like direction that tends to go? Do you think, because uh, like my, my own evolutions are like, I'm getting better at taking the photos I want to take, right? Like earlier this week, I had a m- wonderful moment. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, where I got back from, uh, you know, a shoot, a little photo walk. I called it a shoot so you would understand what I was talking about. That was for you. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Yes. I, you know, by the way, I do wonder how many lists a lot of photographers are on when it uh, relates to certain keywords that go to describing what we do. Yeah. Like, yep. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm gonna go we, shoot the pride. We've accidentally shoot had the a lot of over a text message more than a few times. It's like little, little chit chats today. <laughs> Pull the trigger, Triggers. bite the bullet, yeah, shoot the sorry. shoots. <sighs> sorry. It's, 
it's awful. I Gun hate it so here. much. Uh, so I, you know, like I, I, I went out and I like felt like I had a really good time. You know, like I was like, oh, this is really nice. Um, you know, I, I know some of these turned out. There was, yep. you know, I, I haven't uploaded them in glass yet. Uh, I'm sure I will sometime this week. At least a handful of them. There's like a, a really nice old Lincoln Town Car from like 1994 seven or eight or something cool. with nine different uh <sighs> little trees Cars. air fresheners hanging from the mirror and i was like oh yeah right like Dude. so i knew that one turned out hooray uh, but then i got home and there were like three or four other ones that uh like kind of knocked my socks off right like in a oh holy shit I got the thing I was looking for to the extent that it felt better than, right, like better than other work that I've made, but also now makes me, I like these so much from a technical perspective, not from like an emotional standpoint, not like, oh, I was feeling really good while making it. Like Mm. one of them was a throwaway shot that I took down an alley of a trash can, right? Like we're just like, oh, look, a little alley click. Okay, great. Like felt nothing during the creation was just a, oh, that light looks interesting. I'll take a photo just to make sure whatever. Uh, and like one of, one of the best street photos I feel like I've taken recently, uh, ever maybe. And so like, it's just a photo of a trash can. I know that, but it's also like, holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's you, you, the payoff of you building your intuitive sense of what's interesting without even like knowing it actively. That's a really good sign that happens all the time when I'm, when I'm doing portraits of people, it's like, yeah, I'm just kind of going through. It looks nice. The light is great, I guess. And you see it on your screen later, hopefully. And you're just like, oh, man, I really do know good light. Or your or <laughs> so, your iPad, you know, or your iPhone, wherever you're yeah, editing. Sure. You don't want to, yeah. you know, we, we were rude to the iPad editors earlier. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, it's nice. Use a computer, guys. It's so much better. Uh, so the, right. So, like, I got really excited about that. But it also made me feel like, oh, the other photos I've taken, like, some of these are not actually as good as I thought they were, right? Like, mm. all those other photos over the last couple of months, right? Um, and, and, like, I'm trying not to apply value judgments on past work while also still recognizing that I was trying to take a type of photo and I got 80 or 90 or 95 or 99% of the way there. And that's really great. While also realizing that once you hit that 100, ooh, hot damn, it feels different, right? And, mm-hmm. like, looking at it feels different. And, like, I'm going to post this photo to glass and people are going to be like, that's a trash can. Great job. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that does happen, sadly, that uh, your personal favorites as a photographer tend to not translate to anybody else's. <laughs> right. And so, like, and then the ones you're just like, oh, I must not even post that. Everyone's like, what is happening? Yeah, and I have no idea. Like, I, I run into that all the time with myself portrait project right like i have no idea which the ones people are going to like and which ones people are going to be like oh yeah good job you took a you you took a photo this week you did the thing you said you were going to do or like oh my god i love this i'm seeing so much and you're oh what a expressive photo i'm like oh i i I took that in three minutes at 11 52 you know i think a, a lot of what plays into that is the viewing experience the the difference between when you're making a photo and when you see it on a larger screen is big it's a huge difference and it's always been really frustrating to me early on at least uh, but still even today where you know you have your little your viewfinder you think you you've done what, what you need to to make a compelling photo then you pull it up on lightroom on your giant screen you know 30 inch monitor or whatever and you're you, it's immediately obvious to you not just from a technical like oh it's not as in focus as i thought or something like that but like compositionally it's so much more obvious where the problems are. It's like, why couldn't I see that in the moment and adjust for it? It's the same image. It's just the viewing size makes a huge difference. And it's interesting to think about if you had, I guess the closest thing to shooting with the larger experience in real time, like almost like what you'd see on screen is tethered shooting. And I do think uh, that is why a lot of commercial people do tethered shooting with a client right over their shoulders because the it's immediately obvious what needs to be adjusted for and there's not as much back and forth and guesswork involved but it is it is odd to me that as a photographer you can't be looking at something on a, a tinier screen and and realize in the moment as easily exactly what needs to be fixed that is one huge shift and benefit to having, I think, the slightly larger, you know, four inch or whatever size screens on mirrorless cameras now is that you do get a little bit more of that similar experience um 
to, to looking at a computer screen, but you know, it's just not practical to, uh, has any, if anybody's ever used an iPad to take a photo, it's not, it's not a great experience to have this giant screen be tethered directly to your camera. Right. It's okay. just awkward. New and clunky, idea. But. Just strap the iPad to your assistant's back <laughs> yeah. in a little backpack mm. and, uh, then tether shoot to it and just like, you know, hop on over just a little iPad. I, I do think I do think videographers have an advantage in the fact that they typically do strap a larger viewing screen to their uh, cameras. And, yeah, they and get those seven inch seven inch screens on top of those monitors. Woo! Yeah, Th- that observing them work at weddings was one of the big reasons I started to try and push DSLR cameras uh, as far as which one could be usable in live view. They're really. It, it, nobody as a still photographer was really using live view much at all in the DSLR world, but it was the Nikon D4, I think, or maybe the D4S that really became usable. I still had to manual focus everything, but having that video, I was always jealous of videographers being able to look at the bokeh in real time as they were doing all of their shots. I was like, man, that would be so nice, but they would manual focus. So they were able to do that, um, more easily than with still photos for sure. Uh, Anyway, one big thing related to viewing experience that I think really helps uh, photographers see the evolution and maybe a consistent theme uh, in their work or uh, problem points in their work is to order literal prints of your photos, whatever, but all about the same size, four by sixes, put them out all on the floor or table in front of you and start to arrange them in a way that maybe there's a certain trend toward color or composition, but it doesn't really matter that you don't have to pre think about exactly how you're going to arrange them. Just throw them out on the table and see them all side by side each other. It's going to reveal a lot about, again, more on the theme side, I think of, Oh, I was really into shapes this year, or I've really moved from really expressive photos to more serious ones. Kind of amazing to, to do that. And it's something that, you kind of have a similar experience when you look at your glass feed on an iPad or your Instagram feed, you see your grid of stuff, but it's not the same. That's, that's very small to see your and be able to manipulate with your own physical hands. A hundred prints laying out in front of you is immersive in a way that you can't get through a digital experience. And almost nobody actually takes the time to do anymore. So if you've never done that and you have a little bit of downtime, if not this this fall then in over the, that's a great winter project it's just let's order them so i have done something similar not physical four by six individual prints but uh up until covid basically i would put together an album a very really expensive 50 page 100 spread album of my work and then it's so fun and, and incredible to see everything in print um yeah you learn a lot i want to see him next time i come over show him sure yeah, I think part of the changes that happens is like I start, you know, you you start knowing what photos you want to take as opposed to when you're in the experimentation and growth phase. You're like, I'm trying everything, right? Some stuff changes with age. Uh, my my big thing when I was living in Portland, uh, aside from you know like my regular street photography and portraiture stuff, was landscapes. I loved like hard landscapes. One of the things that I understood at the time was I'm not going to take a better photo than most people in a landscape, right? Uh, If we all go to, like, the Maryland coast or something and, like, pull up and park and take some photos of the coast, chances are a a, a professional landscape photographer is going to take a out, like, significantly better photo than me. What I could do was I had the drive and the energy and the ability and the working body to hike 12 miles to take a photo of a waterfall, right? Like I could, I I can't, I can't take a better photo than you, but I can force myself to go to a better photo than others, right? Like I can, I can hike whatever, 23 miles into the Mount Rainier, up a you know like up a mountain to take a photo of a lake that only a hundred people have been to this year that sort of thing I can't do that anymore right like my body does not uh, right. work in that same way uh, yeah. and so you know like that that part of my photography is now gone so like now I have to learn yeah. how to take a better photo of a waterfall that's available via a road as opposed sure. to a twenty mile hike so you know like that shifted how I take photos and, and what I'm doing I don't know do you do you ever worry about getting stuck 
in your style, right? Because like, do not take this the wrong way. Uh, I'm in no way implying that you are currently stuck in your creative process. You've got to look and you've got your tool set that allows you to recreate that look on demand and people pay you to make that look of them, right? So like <laughs> you're you're like set up in a way as a, you know, as a commercial wedding photographer that takes portraits of people all the time, right? Like you the the stuff that you're photographing is pretty narrow in the grand scheme of available subjects, right? Do you worry like I know that you do a lot of effort to like experiment and play while also still taking the like go-to photos. But what's that? What's that look like in like five years, right? You know, because like what your photography looked like five years ago was like that same sort of thing I was talking about earlier of like the 80% or like the 90%, right? Like you were clearly going for something and you were getting there, but you weren't all the way there yet. And then a few, you know, like recently as you've Mm -hmm. continued to mature in your craft, uh, it feels like you're actively taking the photos that you want to be taking a -hmm. lot of the time, right? Like all the way there, here's my photo how do you yeah what's that Uh, what's that friction like i've never felt the fear in in a way that it was uh, super concerning but i definitely felt um that i certain set of maybe poses or a certain um look in terms of framing that i that i go for you know shooting through leaf or something uh like a certain routine of my process i've always been afraid of of falling into yeah in a way that kind of i'm now just like shooting in a circle that that has been a big fear but that's also why um i'm really hyped up and excited about uh this insight tool (laughs) which uh i don't think you meant to set me up for that but it is very much an awkward but new creative input and awkward in a way that it's like i I have to now think about and account for this new thing that i haven't used before um whether or not it's genuinely helping with the the style and output of my work it's a really tough thing to measure i just made a video yesterday explaining how how tough that can be to to know but for me in my mental state i'm much more excited and energized because i have this new thing that i haven't had before just like when you get like a new camera body or a new lens or a new tool like a prism or something that you're kind of figuring out that's really exciting. Uh, so even if it doesn't make a huge difference, it still energizes me in a way that uh, other tools do. And that seeking things like that out, if not because somebody else has figured it out ahead of you and you just haven't tried it yet, or because you can come up with it on your own, is something that you should hopefully always be driven and compelled to do eventually. But that's where I'm like, I wonder if past a certain age, people stop being interested in that and don't care like yeah i've I've shot i've I've shot through glass objects i've used a prism for years blah 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 Um, i'm over it and 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 so they just kind of get into uh, like you don't need that to make a good photo you can just use what's in front of you and if, if people over time trend more and more toward that mindset i wonder but for me it's i've always had at least one or two new things it seems like every year or so that i can get excited about uh strangely uh, and i don't think you meant to but insight has kind of broken me out of that routine a bit and it is it does take some practice to get used to that and comfortable and and remember uh, it's so funny to me how often people say yeah i've you know i've seen everything you've had to ever say about prisming uh, and i bought one i always forget to use it like it just sits in my bag and i just i simply forget to use it and it's like that kills me because there are just a few little things you could do to force yourself to remember it. One is just being uh, really situ- context aware of, of where a prism is, is really useful or any tool for that matter. Like most tools aren't going to be applicable in all situations. There are really certain circumstances where it's going to shine uh, with the prism tends to be when there's, you have a subject that's lit, per, you know, like a person like lit up pretty well. And then a lot of dark kind of dark shadowy or just negative, like black space filling the frame. That space is prime real estate to throw in a prism and fill with a, a reflection compared to having just a, a blanket kind of evenly lit scene where, yeah, you could throw in something and it'll create a reflection, but that 
it doesn't have that pop and intensity. Uh, but it took me a while to realize that like, oh, okay, yeah, since this is silhouette or there's a lot of dark negative space, I'm going to, that signals to me, like, remember to use the prism, try the prism. But, you know, it takes practice to develop that, that muscle memory. And so like any tool with the ring of fire, same thing. Like it took me forever to even realize that you could get a look at all, but that look was completely dependent on having a small, harsh light source coming right down the barrel. So you need the sun at around sunset for this to work. Shooting indoors in broad light or with beautiful yeah. big window lights, like it's not going to do anything. So now every time I see small, harsh light sources indoors with like a, like a flashlight or street light or at nighttime with car lights or street lights or at sunset, I immediately know just in the back of my head, oh, this is prime real estate. I may or may not use it, but this is prime time for the, the ring of fire. So it just takes um, practice to, to kind of get there. But uh, anyway, I've been grateful for a, a pretty consistent evolution in, in stuff that I use that kind of breaks me out of my normal routine, but certainly uh, been guilty of some things. Now, I would say more recently, I have started to pay a lot more attention, not just to the lighting, but to the um, the color of things like what people are wearing or, or where they are in the, f the frame relative to the color, I've become much, much better at gravitating in the real physical world during a shoot towards things that if the light is really good, that's always primary importance, yeah, number one. 100%. Compositionally, sometimes I'm, even, I'm putting the color before what I'm figuring out compositionally, uh, you know, where it's a complementary color to what they're wearing or some playfulness in, in it. Yeah, I've become much more aware that I'm, it's top of mind. It's not like an intuitive thing anymore. I'm intentionally using colors in a way that I hadn't before. So, which is kind of tough because a lot of uh, wedding couples, they don't deviate much in the color scheme. Yeah, it's white can, dress yeah. and then tends to be a darker suit of some kind. Or if you get lucky, With like your like, single color that's always going to be either coral or <laughs> mint green. <laughs> it, you know, yeah. or, or blue, yeah. right? So like there are your mm -hmm. three colors that someone's going to... All the colors in the world, but also it's going to be coral or mint green or, or yep. blue, right? Like there's just a... I'm thinking about dropping the prices on my engagement sessions so I can do a bit more of them. Because when I raise my prices on them, like clearly it, it had an impact and not as many people book them and include them in their package. Uh, but that really is such a prime time to play around, not just having more time with them without the pressure of the wedding day to experiment yep and kind of hone your skills that you can then bring with you more efficiently on the wedding day. But people do tend to wear much more playful kind of everyday colors like what you and I have on right now. It wouldn't be that uncommon during an engagement session uh, compared to, again, yeah, the mint green and navy blue or whatever <laughs> suits and it's like, white wedding dresses. I, I love aspects of living in a Pinterest world, but I really hate homogenized design decisions it's a huge bummer. Speaking of tools that uh, get you out of a creative rut or uh, inspire you, sign up today at insight.photo and glass.photo <laughs> for the community that you need and, and the, the little computers to tell you new ideas on how to set a hand. That, 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 really, <laughs> that really did a poor job of selling the thing. It just felt like okay. a nice time for a sponsor. Uh, so, no, so I was actually going to... I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Um, so uh, uh, an exciting development, as Sam was testing for Insight, he has had to uh, purchase and then do the B&H return and now got a, got a hookup from Nikon with a Z8. Sam came over for dinner. He brought it. I tried it, and I have a problem. <laughs> I have a very dumb in that you want it. <laughs> well, so I do, but I hated. Oh yes, yes, right. I hated mm. a very dumb thing about it. This is not, not a dumb. reason it's to a not use deal. a photographer, uh, a photo. This is not a like. Okay. But it is. It should. This should not be a deal breaker, and I don't think it is. But it is a thing that if I purchase this camera and use repeatedly, I will still be mad at the. Z8 and the Z9 are the first major mirrorless cameras from a major person that does not have a mechanical shutter available at all. It is only uh, only electronic. Because of that, they have a fake click noise, and it is the worst noise I've heard in my <laughs> life. 
without the ability to customize it so far, uh, as far as I've read, they're working on a firmware update on the Z9 to give you a larger range of what to choose, but it's kind of mind blowing that there's no ability to just import your own little MP3 snippet or something. And it is, it is a terrible sound. It is the sad, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know where it is in your house if you have it next to you uh, or if you want to, you know, go grab it while I just rant about how terrible this noise is so you can get the audio of it. Sure. Don't, I I mean, don't trip down the stairs or anything. Uh, But it was just to set the stage while Sam goes to get this camera so he can click it next to the microphone for you. Um, I was very excited. I, you know, like Sam uh, having the ability to borrow this briefly from Sam while he is using it for testing was wonderful. And I was very excited. I was, you know, dreading purchasing this camera because I, while I do feel I need a mirrorless, I didn't really want to do it this season. Uh, and I was worried that using it would like push me over the edge and immediately make me want to have it. And then I held it and I, it felt great and it focused amazing. And then I clicked the button and it sounded like a tin can had <laughs> met a camera at some point and then threw a game of telephone instead tripped over itself. I don't know. It was like just the most uninspiring little noise, uh, which is fine. You can turn that off. That's great. But because of a different feature where they improved the live view so much, it will now not give you any signal that you took the photo if you turn off the noise there's no black screen flash there's nothing which historically has been a large complaint for photographers they really want that screen to stay live now it does but because the noise was uh so mediocre sam might have turned it off so much that it can never be turned on again but the noise was so bad yeah. Okay. I missed some of that, but I am back here with yeah. the Z8. It is in full silent mode right now, uh, so I need. It's going to take me a second to find the um, the option. But I will say, even in full silent mode, I do not like how they've chosen to um, signal to you that the photo is being taken. It's like four little white dashes in the centerish part of each corner or side, and it's and on Canon. It's a full white box. But what would be, which is a little bit better, but what would be nice is if you could have the option to have it black out the screen so you, so it's, you really know, yeah. you know, unless you're shooting at the insanely high frame rate mode. But uh, yeah, if you're one shot at a time or maybe fewer than nine frames per second, you really know when each shot is firing instead of having to get this slight dash of an outline. It's kind of weird. Well, yeah, I, like I, and I didn't expect that to like turn me off immediately to the purchasing the camera in general. But I was immediately like, I don't want this thing anymore. Oh no. But like, I don't, you know, like it's not that I want any of them. I I would prefer not to purchase one at all this year. I would like to wait until next year, next season. But, uh, man, I am having a lot of issues figuring out where the heck I love this. I I found where to turn the silent mode on and off, but I can't, find where to change the freaking volume and because and, it's I, I turned silent mode off and i still don't hear anything so i think the the volume is you made it so low because it was such a bad sound that we never wanted to hear it again yeah camera sounds here we go here we go so all right this is just gonna be the end of the episode i appreciate you sam listen to this terrible noise you. and we're out Like, come on. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the loudest volume here. That's high pitch. Here's low pitch. Oh, it can get worse. Which sounds like exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. You're going to see the waveforms. I just, like it. I. It just seems like a crappy little toy camera sound that you've given a toddler with their first camera. It's like, yeah. I, yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, maybe it's more exciting in... first mode about ooh okay let's go oh that wasn't that's 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 less bad <laughs> but it's not great any it's not great it sounds like yeah, a video I, game that, that's like definitely a, a, a sound effect from goldeneye <laughs> nintendo 64 gun uh, 
it's just yeah sad times not a great not a great shutter noise and then i don't know and like that that shouldn't be a deal breaker it's probably not going to be a deal breaker i'm still you know probably going to end up with it it. but yeah they would have done i think they should have put in some sort of tactile response like a little you know like what's in cell phones to to give me a haptic engine give me a little a little haptic engine would be wonderful it's odd to me that they didn't think to do that there is a shutter curtain even in this and it sounds pretty good when you turn the camera off yeah so that's the it's nice anyway i appreciate you thank you for sharing that pain with me if you use lightroom Mm -hmm. on your phone send me an email i really want to hear from you because i want to ask why (laughs) sounds good all right We'll end it there. One, two, three.